0: The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. I was thinking back this week about a science experiment that I did. It's I think in school when I was in elementary school. Maybe you remember this. It's where you take like a cup of water and you add a little bit of food coloring in there, maybe red or blue dye, and then you take a celery stalk and you put it in there and you leave it for uh, a couple days and slowly the celery stock uh, will pull up the colored water from uh, the glass and it will start to tint the celery. Anyone else do this or is this just me? I'm seeing a lot of blank stares. Okay, a couple of you actually made it through elementary school. And, uh, and did that. Okay, so, um, but if you look closely, if you've ever done this experiment, you'll see, like you can, it's really cool for, for young kids to see kind of the, the structure of a plant, because there's these, you see like the veins where it's going up into the celery stalk. And if you leave it long enough, actually the fringes of the leaves will start to be colored, uh, that will be tinted the color of the liquid in the glass. And, um, but that's not only true of plants, that dynamic is also true of animals. I, I, many years ago I read a a news article of a crocodile in an Australian zoo that uh, had a bizarre phenomenon happen to it. It changed colors. I want you to check out this picture of this crocodile in this Australian zoo. Normal crocodile, this is not some new species, but they, uh, they come out one day and it's starting to change color and after several weeks the crocodile had basically turned orange. And they're wondering, like, what has happened? Is it sick? What, what's going on? What's going on here? The crocodile had gone to the uh, water purifier in its cage or in its little habitat, and it's the it's the source that brings clean water into its cage. And it had just attacked it. It just started chewing into it. And as it was chewing into it, it gets all of that algae, all of the the impurities that the filters had taken out of the water. It starts. Uh, digesting all of those impurities like really really concentrated because it was in that water filter and as it digested that it started to change uh, its own um, chemical makeup inside the crocodile and actually changed the scale the color of the scales and turned it orange and I thought, man, what an interesting uh, dynamic. I mean, it's, it's kind of like that celery principle of something that had been digested so much that it actually worked from the inside out, changing even the tint of its scales. And also how ironic that the very thing, the very mechanism there in the cage that was supposed to purify its water ended up being the thing poisoning the crocodile, very interesting dynamic. Well, that's not only true of plants and animals, and there's other examples of that, like flamingos that turn pink because of its diet and all that stuff. It's not only true of plants and animals. That's also a dynamic that's true in our lives, spiritually speaking. It's a dynamic talked about all over in the Bible. The things that we drink down in, shape us and start changing us from the inside out. Now maybe you're here, maybe you're watching online, you're sitting in your living room or maybe you're sitting there in the uh, Cooper City uh, High School Auditorium, maybe you're here at the West Pines campus um, and you may be here and you are, maybe you say, look, I'm a brand new Christian or I'm just starting out. Maybe you say, look, I'm not even sure I'm a Christian. I just have a bunch of questions. You may be here or watching online and you may be, you may say, look, I, I I know I'm not a Christian. In fact, I'm not even sure why I'm watching this or how I got into, in, into one of these campuses, I don't know why I'm here, and if that's, if you're in any one of those spaces, first off, let me say, so glad that you are joining us. We love journeying with people who have honest, authentic questions, because even those of us who are people of faith, we still have questions that we, that we wrestle through together. So glad that you're on this journey, and I'm glad that you're here to, to, to hear this particular passage um, today. But you might be here or watching online and say, look, I've been following Jesus for a long time. In fact, you might say, all my life, like I actually never remember a point where I wasn't following Jesus. Or maybe say, like I was going my way and I had this dramatic moment with Jesus and I've never been the same. You say, I've followed Jesus for a long time. Maybe you say, look, I would consider myself, maybe you'd say, a seasoned Christian or a mature Christian. You'd say, I'm maybe in some ways a leader as a Christian. Maybe you're that person in your family that when someone has a spiritual question, they come to you. When someone or has a spiritual challenge, they come to you. Maybe when someone has a prayer request, they come to you. Maybe you uh, are a, a, a fervent volunteer here at your church. Or maybe even a leader. Maybe you're a small group leader or you lead a ministry here. The passage we're going to look at speaks especially to you. If you're a long time Christian, seasoned Christian, leader as a Christian, this passage speaks to you. If you're not in that category, you're a new Christian or not yet a Christian, I'm glad that you're listening in because I want you to hear what this text says. It's so important. This passage talks about even though we're following Jesus, along the way it's really easy for Jesus to no longer be the source of spiritual nutrition in our life. And so wherever you're at in your walk with with the Lord, three minutes or 30 years, these words of Jesus are a, a gut check and they're an analysis of our lives. And if we're not finding our source in the person of Jesus, then we'll look and we'll see the, the, the impact of that in our life. There'll be spaces that are not thriving in our life because of that. I want you to hear what this text has to say. It's in John chapter 15. Some of the most memorable words of Jesus. If you would open with me to John chapter 15, we are going to pick it up in verse 1. John chapter 15 Now let's just pause right there for a second and just get our bearings on this part of Jesus' teaching. Let's just first start with the setting. This is the night before Jesus is crucified. In less than, probably less than 12 hours from when Jesus spoke this, he will be nailed to a cross, what has already happened so far is it's already had the Last Supper. They've been in the upper room for Passover. Jesus uh, breaks the bread and passes it around. The, he then uh, pours out the wine and passes it around, institutes the Last Supper. Um, he's already washed the disciples' feet. Judas has already left into the night to uh, collude with those who are going to arrest Jesus. He's in the process of betraying Jesus. He's getting them. Maybe the troops are already assembling and walk beginning to walk through the streets, they have already, Jesus already spoken to them, he's taught them, and he has just said, let's get up from the, di- from the dinner table, let's leave, and let's go to the Garden of Gethsemane. They've just gotten up, and many believe that, have studied this text, many scholars believe that he's teaching them this as he's walking on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. He gets to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he begins praying in agony. He sweats drops of blood. They arrest Jesus. He gets passed around between the high priest and the Sanhedrin, over to Herod, over to Pilate. He's eventually tortured and humiliated, taken out of the city, and he's nailed to a cross, a very public very violent, very humiliating, very extremely painful death as a spectacle. Hanging on a cross, and he dies. What was happening all in that moment, this death on a cross was not just the martyr of a religious leader. This death on a cross was the once-for-all sacrifice for sins, the sins that we commit God provided a sacrifice in Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth in order to die. That was God's plan, to pay for all of our sins, and that's offered as a gift. We can say, yes, that is my sacrifice for sins, and we can find forgiveness, forgiveness that we cannot earn. Without Jesus, we cannot be saved. And so through this, this is the one time for all sacrifice for sins so that we can be saved, Jesus died on the cross on the third day. He rose again from the dead because he's the author of life. It's God in the flesh. He defeats sin. He defeats death itself. He comes back to life. Now this is very important for this text. Jesus is not a historical figure that died, but his influence still lasts on the earth. Jesus is the figure of history. He's the author of, He's the author and sustainer of our faith. He, he holds all things together. He, he is um, the author of life. It's God in the flesh. He's the centerpiece of all of the universe. He is not dead. He is alive. That's vital to understanding this text. Jesus is alive. And when he ascended back to heaven, he said, I'll be with you always. Okay. In this biography that John writes about Jesus, about the ministry of Jesus, it's not very long. And of this, this speech that Jesus gives, this talk Jesus gives on the night that he betrays, he's betrayed, excuse me, the speech that he gives is like more than 10%, close to 15% of the entire biography of his ministry that John gives. In other words, this particular talk that Jesus gives that final night is very significant. And this particular section of that talk, many believe, is the centerpiece of that entire talk. He gives a metaphor. He's operating out of a metaphor. Jesus did this all the time. He spoke in metaphors and stories. And this metaphor is one of a grapevine, and he's walking along. Now he's on his way to a, a grove of olive trees where there was an olive press. Many believe that as he was walking there, he might have walked through a vineyard, like maybe like a small plot with maybe a few rows of grapevines. And as he's, that' been very common in that area. As he's walking through, many believe, that's why he stops and does an object lesson. And here's what he says. He says, "I am the true vine." So he's the part of the the grapevine that comes up out of the ground. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. This is the, the fundamental parable or metaphor that he's using. In other words, the core part that has its roots in the ground that's growing up from which all the branches go, that core part that is the vine, that is Jesus the vine dresser, that's the one who's, who's inspecting the vine. It's the one that uh, if, there's, if there's part of the vine and, or the branches that are not getting enough sun, he adjusts it. Or if, if there's a, a, a cluster of grapes that's down in the dirt, he'll dust it off and, and raise it up a little bit. If there's branches that are just taking up nutrients and not bearing fruit, uh, then he cuts them off. If there are very fruitful uh, branches, as we'll see in a moment, he prunes them back so they bear even more fruit. He's in charge of it. He's the vine dresser. That's God the Father. God the Son is the vine. God the Father is the vine dresser. Now, if he has a successful harvest of beautiful, thriving, healthy grape clusters, and either he sells them to a wine vinter or sells them to someone at the market who's just selling the fruit, or he himself sells the fruit or he makes the wine, if he, as the vine dresser, the one in charge of the vine... If he has a successful harvest of these beautiful fruit, then he will get the credit. Wow, he's such a good vine dresser. He really is. He knows how to take care of the vine. He knows how to get the most out of the vine, most out of the, out of the branches. He knows how to get these really healthy grapes and good harvests. He gets the credit. He gets the glory for the fruitfulness of the vine and the branches, This is the the beginning of the metaphor. Okay, but he's going to talk a little bit more about not only the vine that comes up out of the ground and the vine dresser. Now he's going to speak more about the branches attached to the vine. Let's pick it up in verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. Jesus is the vine, comes up out of the ground. God the Father is the vine dresser. And then all of the various branches growing out of that vine, the branches that are actually bearing the fruit, that's the followers of Jesus. In this case, his disciples that were around him. They are the branches. And he says, uh, the, in other words, the branch all of the nutrition that the branch gets, all of the life that the branch gets, all of the things necessary to to thrive, all the things necessary to bear fruit, all of that gets pulled up out of the vine into the branches. If that gets severed, the branch withers. When I was in high school, I had a, a summer job I worked as a I helped out the the head of maintenance at an organization. There was a a large property, and um, so in the summer I'd go, and whatever needed to be done that day, whether it was mowing the lawn or trimming the bushes or pulling the weeds or fixing something or painting something or repairing something, whatever it was, I I would do that. And there was one particular job that all, I did this uh, a couple summers in a row. There's one particular job we had to do every single summer, and I just dreaded it. There was this huge ficus hedge, that stretched probably maybe 400 feet um, along the side of this two-acre parcel. And it went up probably seven or eight feet tall. And um, once during the summer, that was trimmed every few months. But the one time we had to trim that in the dead of the summer was the worst. It was blistering hot. And to trim it, we had this huge hedge trimmer and so it got heavy and so you're sweating and your, your shoulders and arms are getting tired because we had to go up the side and we had to reach on the top and get on the top and you have to stand either on the ladder or on the back of like a golf cart or something or a tractor and you had to get on the top and just doing this motion for hours, just your, your muscles were just aching and then we get all the way to the end and then we'd have to go on the other side and go all the way back i mean it would take us days and i just whenever it was the the week where we were trimming that particular hedge it was brutal and so we would take turns, one of us would trim the side and the top, the other would get, um, would get a rake and would pull off the branches off, off the top that had been trimmed. Now, if you've ever hedge trimmed before, you know that when you first trim the hedges, it's hard to see the branches, it's hard to determine the branches that are still attached to those that have been severed off of the bush, because the ones that have been cut, they're still green. So you'll kind of rake your hand over it or you'll see something, you grab them and you get as many as you can, you throw them away, you clean off the ones off the ground. But if you go back a week later, you see all of the brown and withered branches in the hedge, right? You you follow me? And that's the exact metaphor he's saying. He's saying there's branches. Those of us who are followers of Christ, disciples, branches are attached to the vine, which is Jesus. If that gets severed off of that that branch not only does not bear fruit, it withers. Now, here's the interesting thing. There's a command in here. He looks at his disciples, and he says, Abide in me. In this metaphor, Jesus kind of mixes his metaphors here. And he's Jesus, so if he wants to do that, he can do that. He mixes his metaphors here, and he says, You branches... Abide in me, the vine. Abide like the word abode. Live in, dwell in, hide in, find shelter in, seek refuge in, M- make your living space in. I want you to picture like it's you're so encapsulated within the person of Jesus. In other words, he's trying to express this idea of branches being connected to the vine, but then he's got to express to the branches that there is a dynamic that staying attached to the vine you can still be trying to operate as a branch and get disconnected, so you have to consciously make the decision to stay connected to the vine. You have to make this conscious decision that you are going to, when it comes to the vine, when it comes to Jesus, that that you are going to be in him, making your house in him, making your your living in him, you're dwelling in him, you don't move outside of him, you are staying in the person of Jesus. And if it wasn't that we had the capacity to detach, then he wouldn't need to command that. He'd say, hey, my branches, once you're attached to me, then you're good forever. Now, is he saying that you can, like, lose your salvation? Like, once you've put your faith in Jesus, you can lose your salvation? No, of course not. We are given salvation by God's grace. It's not what we do. It's what Jesus did. So if we didn't gain our salvation by anything we did, you can't earn it. It's not by what you do. Then you can't lose it by something you do. It's all by grace. But the issue is one of withering and versus bearing fruit. The issue is one of thriving. what kind of fruit are we talking about here? I, I want to just jump down to verse 11. I want to read this, this last part um, in here and then we'll, we'll, we'll pause there. Look what he says at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. See, he was talking about, look, abide in me, remain in me, live in me, pull all of your source of life from me as the vine. He's not just doing this because, hey, I'm telling you to do it because it's the right thing to do. He's like, I want you to thrive. He says, it makes me full of joy. And I want your my joy to be just coursing through you. This is one of those markers of the Christian faith that is, is miraculous, that we can have joy regardless of the circumstances. We can be marked by this joyous thriving that no matter what's going on, we can wake up and say, you know what? I'm just so full of joy. That's just one of the markers, one of the fruit of our lives. See, sometimes there's things we come across, and maybe we read them in the Bible, and we're like, I, I really don't know why I'm supposed to do that. I really don't know why I, I'm being told to do that, but I, I guess I'm just supposed to. It's like there's this rule uh, after you, um, if you're like at like a pool party, and you, you're supposed to wait, apparently, after you eat, 20 or 30 minutes before you start swimming again. Has anyone, by a show of hands, anyone ever heard that rule before? In Cooper City, I want you to raise your hand Alone in your, in your living room, I want you to raise your hand if you've heard that. Okay, almost all of us has heard that rule. Now the reason that I have always been told that you do that is so you don't get a cramp and drown. Is this, does that sound familiar? Is that what you've heard as well? Okay. All of us have heard that. Now, I have had a cramp before doing various types of exercise, sports. I have gotten cramps before. I've gotten cramps just walking to the refrigerator, okay? Like, I've had a cramp before, all right? But I'm really trying to just stop and think about this for a second. Like, I've never had such a debilitating cramp that I immediately went completely limp and paralyzed and could not even call for help, okay? Okay? Like, I'm trying to, like, I've never heard of someone, like, been, like, swimming in a pool, okay? And all of a sudden, they got a cramp and just sunk to the bottom. Like, at some point, can't they reach to the side, yell help, just splash really hard? Like, I, I just wonder, why do we follow this pool party rule? Um, I still follow it because I'm scared, okay? Like, I'm scared not to. I don't know. I don't want to drown, okay? Like, I'm a little bit scared, and, but I'm not really sure why we do it. We just do it because we're supposed to. Sometimes we hear these rules in the Bible and we're like, I know I'm supposed to do it. Yep, abide in the vine. I don't even know all that that means, but I'm supposed to do it and I'm sure, preacher, you're gonna tell me how to do it and I'll do it because I'm supposed to because I'm trying to be a good Christian. But listen to what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I don't want you to wither I don't want you to have a joyless life. I want you to thrive like the source of your life and your livelihood is surging from the fountain of life as if you are attached to the one who gives life and sustains the universe. Like you're directly attached right to the one who's the source of all beauty and glory and life. He says, I want you to thrive. I don't want you to wither. I want your life to be fruitful, bearing all kinds of fruit. That's what I want your life to be like. That's why he's calling us to this. I I would hope that we we could hear this and be enticed. Okay, Jesus, because there's parts of me that is not thriving right now. So you got to tell me, like, what do you mean? Because I want to be thriving. I want to be fruitful. I I, got to know what you mean exactly by that. Um, This is one of those things that's like, whether you've been following Jesus a short time or a long time, and I would venture to say this is important, especially for those who've been following Jesus for a long time. Because just pause for a second and take inventory, because it's like that celery stalk. What's the source that we're intaking from? Because whatever we're pulling up into, whatever we're drinking down, that's what's the branches of our life, the... the, the pieces of our life are going to look like. We're going to bear fruit. It's the type of fruit we're going, to, we're going to bear. We're like that crocodile that doesn't just drink the water, tears into the water filter and basically gets poisoned, drinks in all those pollutants. I mean, it, it affects us. Christian, apparently there's a need for us to hear the command to abide, to stay in Jesus so that we don't wither and that we continue bearing fruit. Well, how do we do that? Let me give you three implications of this for us. Here's the first one. If you noticed, Jesus said, I am the true vine. If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus is the true vine. If Jesus is the true vine, then that means that there are false vines, right? That means there's imitation vines, And I might add, I believe that there are imitation. It's like the crocodile with the water filter. There are things that promise to give you unpolluted water, That things that promise to actually help you thrive more, but once you tear into it, it's actually polluting you. And so how do you know, like, okay, how do I know if, um, if I'm staying, remaining in the true vine or if I'm on a false vine? Well, look at the extremities of your life. Look at the, the fruit that it bears. One of, one of the facets of being fruitful is in another book of the Bible, the fruit of the spirit. This is the fruit that the spirit creates in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. By the way, these are the things that our, our children are learning right now in, in our kids' ministry. These are nine facets of the fruit that the Spirit creates in us as we're abiding in Jesus Christ. So there are a lot of sources that we drink from in our life. Not all of them are bad. Maybe you follow, maybe you are, um, you know, an avid paddleboarder, okay? You're a paddleboard enthusiast, and so you read a paddleboard blog, and you watch paddleboard videos, and it's like, okay, that's not bad. Paddleboarding's good exercise. Good for you. Maybe you like to, to cook, and you like to cook in healthy ways, and there's this chef that you follow, like, okay, that's great, and you subscribe to their YouTube channel. Maybe you like to keep up on current events, and so you have a news outlet that you follow. Okay, that's not necessarily bad to stay up to speed on current events, but how do you know when it goes from someone that's either keeping yourself aware or, or trying to be healthy or having a hobby, how do you know when those sources are starting to replace the source of Jesus Christ? Look at the fruit. What is the fruit it's producing in you? Healthy fruit or unhealthy fruit? Are you withering? Is there, maybe you're someone that's really into health and you're like, look, I want to have a healthy body. That's not a bad thing. But maybe as you're going deeper and deeper and you're drinking that down more and more, it goes from being a hobby to being more than a hobby. And you see that it's starting to bear bad fruit in your life. It's not producing love, it's producing competitiveness. You look at someone else's body and you look at your own body and I wish I looked like that, but I just look like this and now it's making you dissatisfied with your own body. And all of a sudden, man, if you follow that down, there's all kinds of withering that can happen in your, in your, in your life, all kinds of obsessions, eating disorders, things as you follow that down that can just wither your life. Look at the fruit. How about a hobby? Say, yeah, like, I I love watching sports, or I love watching this, but what's the fruit that it's bearing in your life? Is it producing self-control? Or is the more I obsess over this hobby, I just can't stop buying gear? I just can't, like, every waking moment I want to do that to the exclusion of my responsibilities or my relationships or my family. What's the fruit it's bearing in you? How about current events? Christian, I cannot implore you more strongly right now to look at the fruit of how you track current events and issues. What is the fruit it's producing in your life? Is it making you more loving? Or is it making you lash out like you never have on social media? Is it making you more joyous Or is what you're reading, what you're listening to, the YouTube channels you you are subscribed to, is it making you more joyous and peaceful and patient or more fearful and anxious and angry? If that's the fruit it's producing. It's not Jesus. Prune it. Is it producing... um, kindness and gentleness and self-control or do you find yourself more combative than you've ever been saying things like you've never thought you'd say being rude and disrespectful like you never thought you would caring about things do you find whatever the other source is is it making you more faithful to Jesus because if there's anything that I am doing more proselytizing for than the gospel. I am an unfaithful disciple of Jesus Christ. If I'm trying to convert people to my theory on diet, on health, on my theory of current events, on my theory of vaccinations or not vaccinations, or masks or not masks or Republican party, or Democrat party, or some other party, or, or foreign events, if I'm spending more time trying to convert people to my opinion of anything other than the gospel, I am an unfaithful disciple. What is the fruit of your life? Christian, Jesus is saying on the night he was betrayed, moments before, he agonizingly begs Jesus to take the cross from him and yet walks in obedience to secure your salvation for eternity and then send you on a mission to see the world know of their only hope for eternity, the gospel. Only the gospel. Nothing other than Jesus Christ dead and resurrected. And he said, please, 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 don't get sidetracked don't get disattached. Abide in me and watch the fruit of your life because I am the only true vine. That is what Jesus is saying to you. So important that the closest disciple to Jesus Christ spilled more text on that. Of all the things he could have talked about, he's like, under the power of the Holy Spirit, this talk... Christians throughout history will need to hear in John 15. Jesus is the true vine. If you're if you have other sources in your life, look at your fruit. That's the diagnosis for you. Here's the second thing. The Father is the vine dresser. The Father sets the agenda for the branches. The branches don't say, I'm going to grow like this. Vine dresser, this is how I want you to shape me. Um, Hey, vine dresser, I've got this branch that is uncomfortable for me. Could you prune it, please? I like this fruit right here. I'm going to keep this. Please prune this. No, the vine dresser sets the agenda. And the vine dresser gets the glory. Branches. The only reason you are on the vine is to ultimately, not the only, the ultimate reason, let me say that differently. The ultimate reason you are on the vine is to bring glory to the vine dresser. If your life is about bringing glory to yourself and asking for the vine dresser's help, he's going to prune until you are fulfilling the purpose you were designed for, which is to bring glory to him. That seems self-serving for God. What does he think? He's the center of the universe? Yes. And you and I are not. Our rightful place is is to keep him the center of the universe with our lives. Let him set the agenda of your life. So that means to follow Jesus, Jesus' words, Luke 14, renounce everything. That means I don't have plans, goals. I can plan, but my goals and long-term dreams, I renounce and say, dresser. How do you want me to do, what do you want me to do with my life? And and then I do my best to make plans according, and then I change plans if he guides that and directs me. No, he has the dream and the plan and the calling over my life. Let him set set the agenda. Jesus is the true vine. The Father is the vine dresser. And the branches abide in Jesus. Here's the third one, the branches abide in Jesus. Seasoned Christian, please hear me. This is not abiding in Jesus's religious practices. And this is why this gets so undetected for a long time. A seasoned Christian can set aside time to spend reading the Bible and praying and listening to worship music every day. A seasoned Christian can serve at their church a seasoned Christian can give generously to their church. A seasoned Christian can worship and raise their hands at their church and, and can do all of those things, can do a lot of, of Jesus' religious practices and all of those things are great, but those things can replace the living person of Jesus. So if you're a, a brand new Christian, here's what I would say. If you don't have regular daily space where you're connecting with Jesus, how can you thrive with the living person of Jesus? He's alive and with you. So if you don't have space where you stop and you pray to Jesus, you worship Jesus, you journal and listen for for how he's moving, you read scripture, you try and hear his voice, you try and run into his presence. If you don't have space to spend with the person of Jesus, you are not going to thrive. You're not going to bear fruit. Christian, a growing Christian, if you're going to abide and house yourself in the person of Jesus, you have to set aside that time to be with the person of Jesus. Start there. Make it a priority. Get up 30 minutes early. Get up an hour earlier. Go to bed 30 minutes earlier. Go to bed 30 minutes an hour earlier. A little less watching TV at night, a little bit more spending time with Jesus in the morning. How could that possibly not be a recipe for thriving? You have to have that time with Jesus. Why? Not because it's a religious ritual to check the box, but because he's a living He's our living God, he's alive, and we've gotta spend uninterrupted time with him. But seasoned Christian, be careful. Those of you who've not missed a quiet time in 17 years, it can, get a, it can become checking the box. It can become fulfilling a reading plan. It can become going through the motions of doing the religious activity and not stopping and hearing and communing and spending time with and hearing the voice of the living shepherd and that, that we hear and respond to his voice, run into his presence and hear from him because he's alive. He's the vine. I want to read this passage over you as, as we bring things to a close. Um, it, it's one of the most, man, I just wish I could have seen this moment in Jesus' life and um, his ministry. He's just come out, in, in Luke chapter 4, he just comes out from being tempted in the wilderness. And he gets tempted in the fundamental ways that we're tempted and, and And he's at a greater point of need than probably any one of us have ever been and he's tempted with greater things than any one of us have ever been tempted with and yet he withstands all of that temptation without flinching unlike us and after that he enters into his ministry he goes to his hometown of Nazareth and um as he as, as he goes to the synagogue, they hand him the scrolls and he opens to, opens to this one place um, in in, uh, Isaiah. I'm gonna read it out of Luke. And let me see, I want you to hear what Jesus says. All eyes are fixed on him. A silence goes through the synagogue. And he opens the scroll and here's what he says. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives And recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Imagine that moment. 750 some odd years in the making when Isaiah first wrote that down. These people have been waiting. But not just that. I mean, this moment had been planned from the beginning of time, and all creation has been groaning for it. And Jesus says, Today it's here. Jesus says, I'm fulfilling this in your midst. Here's what He can you see what he says? He's got good news. To those who are feeling a a poverty in their lives, he's got good news. To those who feel like they're locked in chains, imprisoned, caged, he's here to set them free. To those who are oppressed, he's gonna give liberty. To those who are blind, he's gonna give sight. He's saying, this is now the year of the Lord's favor, but here's the thing, that's what he came to do, and here's what's such good news. He's alive, and he's with us, and he is the vine, and we're attached to him, and that's the kind of fruit he wants to produce in our lives. And here's what's such good news to me, because he's continuing to do this, so I don't know if there's something in your life, and you're like, look, you want to know why I'm withering about? There's this thing in my life I just can't beat. I just feel locked, and I feel caged, and I feel oppressed by this. I can't break, break free. And he says, abide in me. I'm the one that sets prisoners free. Maybe there's someone that says, look, I, I just, I, I don't know which way to go. I'm lost. I just, I'm blind. Or maybe there's someone in my life that's blind. They can't find their way. They can't find salvation. But Jesus is like, abide in me. I'm the one that gives sight to the blind. I'll open their eyes. And he did it over and over and over. He set people free. And that was to show them what kind of ministry that he had come to do. And that's what he wants to do and continue to do over and over and over in our lives. Make your home there. Dwell there, live there, stay connected there, run after that source, drink deeply of that well, and allow the vine dresser to prune anything that's not bearing those the types of fruit that only Jesus can. Can we bring this to just a point of decision? Would you just take a moment and bow your head and close your eyes? Christian, I want to ask, has the Holy Spirit convicted you? Is there just something, a, a hobby, a passion, just something maybe in your life that you've let become a source. But if you're honest, it's, it's kind of overtaken things and it's gone too far. And it's, you're like, look, look at the fruit in my life. It's not helped me thrive. And maybe you say, yeah, that's me. And I need help. Would you pray for me? I I want this to be just a, a, a line in the sand moment where it's not like, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. I should watch that. And scale back a little bit. No, you say, no, I I renounce this. I don't want this to have the hold on me it has anymore. I want to abide in Jesus. And here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want to pray for those of us who are in that space today. And if that's you and you want to be prayed for today, then with no one looking around, I I want you um, to just slip your hand in the air. Just say, yeah, that's me. Please pray for me. Amen. At Cooper City, just slip your hand in the air here at the West Pines campus, just slip your hand in the air. Watch it online. Just, God sees it. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Lord, for those that are saying they want to abide in in you, Lord, I pray, grant them mercy to do that. Reorder their lives. Prune the things that need to be pruned. Help them to find that space where they're abiding in you, Jesus. Let that go coursing through their, their bodies that they could thrive. But I wonder if there's some here that say, look, I, I'm ready to start abiding in Jesus. I, I'm ready to not have, it's not about a religion. I don't know that I've ever had a relationship with Jesus And realize that he is how I am saved. He alone is how I'm saved. I want to start that now. I don't want to walk out here with any questions. I want to know I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. I abide in Jesus. And he's sending thriving into my life. And I want to do that for the first time. And if that's you, whether you're at Cooper City watching online or you're here at the West Pines campus, if that's you and you want to take that step today, would you just slip your hand in the air and put it back? Say, that's me. I want to take that step today. Amen. Anybody else? Just take this moment. God sees it. If that's you, I want to lead you in this prayer. Just silently in your heart, say, Jesus, say this to him, repeat this to him. Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my Savior. I want to build my life in you. You are the only way that I'm saved. Thank you for the work you've done for my salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what I want to ask you to do. If that was your prayer, um, if you're watching online, I want you just to grab your cell phone and go to cityrev.org slash faith. Just grab that. If that was your prayer just then, and you put your faith in Jesus, go to cityrev.org slash faith. Just fill out a couple questions so we can send you a Bible and let you know the next steps on this journey. If you're here, I want you to grab that Get Connected card in the seat back in front of you. I want you to fill that out. Put, that you, uh, put your faith in Jesus for the first time and then put that in giving boxes on your way out so that we can just send you a Bible or put a Bible in your hands today. Church, we're gonna close with a song that reminds us that we abide in Jesus. And it's it's an opportunity for us to remember where our source is. And maybe for many of us, it'll be an opportunity to go back to where that source of our thriving is. It's only Jesus. And so let's sing this together. Would you stand with me as we close with this? Let's make this the cry of our hearts. Let's sing this together. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org.